Hollywood Chapel this summer, we're exploring a series called Hallowed Be Thy Names, where we're looking at various ways in which God introduces himself in the story of Scripture. Of course, we know him as God, but you realize that there are other ways that God reveals himself in the story of Scripture. When it says in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the word behind that word God is actually Elohim. Elohim, the creator God, the God who can. You remember when Moses, or excuse me, when Abraham is interacting with, with uh, God when, in Genesis chapter 17, when God is calling him out to do something, to follow him into a new land, he says, you are the God almighty. You are El Shaddai. El Shaddai. You know, when Abraham is interacting with this priest, this priest and king in Genesis chapter 14 by the name of Melchizedek, he says uh, that I will follow after God most high. That is El El Yon. You are between all other gods. You are the most high God. You are the one who is worthy of following. I'm not going to bow my head to another person. I'm not going to follow after whatever the culture is offering. You are El El Yon. In, in, in uh, all throughout scripture, God reveals himself with the word Adonai. Adonai means you are the Lord. You are the highest Lord, the master of all masters. You are the one who is in control. I am submitting myself to you and whatever your will is for my life, that's what I want to do. You are Adonai. He reveals himself in the Psalms as Jehovah Rohi. That is the Lord God, our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is what David is declaring, that you are the Lord, my shepherd. I can can go a lot of different places. I can do a lot of different things, but you are actually the one who is guiding my steps. You are actually the one who is setting my course. I trust you and you alone. You are Jehovah Rohi. Today, I want to talk to you about another name of God. That is the name Jehovah Rapha. You spell that R-A-P-H-A, Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord is our healer. The Lord is our healer. Some of us come to this room today with infirmities, diagnoses, parts of our body that don't feel as good as they should, things that don't feel as good as they did 10 years ago. We feel like things are breaking down a little bit and we are in need of Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God, our healer. But even if you feel 110% this morning and if you're ready to do some laps, you're ready to do some jumping jacks, you're here ready to go, the reality is is that no matter how you feel, you're here today in need of Jehovah Rapha as well. And the reason why you need Jehovah Rapha is not necessarily because you have a medical diagnosis or a limp or a bum knee or a bad hip, but because by sin you have been separated from a God who loves you. And it's only through the work of his son Jesus that you can be reconciled to the Father. You need Jehovah Rapha today. I need Jehovah Rapha today. The world needs Jehovah Rapha today. He is the Lord, our God, our healer. Amen? Centuries ago, in a, in a community far, far from here, there was a legend that existed about a group of people who found a way to receive healing. 
The people of this land loved to gather together and worship. They were a worshiping people and they wanted to go to their temple and they wanted to worship their God. But the reality was is that that worship in that temple had rules. And one of the rules was, if you're sick, you can't come in. If you got a bum leg, you can't come in. If you're blind, you can't come in. If you're hard of hearing, you can't come in. You can come in if you're whole, but you can't come in if you're broken. Well, in one part of the city, there was this body of water that existed, and it was fed by a natural spring. And according to the legend, whenever the waters of that spring would begin to move, it was the evidence of an angelic being that was present there. And if they thought they could get themselves to the water while it was still stirring, that they might receive healing. And so you can imagine the kinds of people that gathered around this spring. All the broken in society. <laughs> Everybody with a fever and an infection was present. People who couldn't walk any longer were present. People who couldn't see any longer were present. Everybody wanted to be able to worship, but this group was not able to. And so they gathered around this spring, hoping to see the water stir, hoping that they would be healed. Some of them had lost a little bit of hope in the spring, but that was the only hope they had, and so they were going to even hold on to that. You ever been to the place where you, you've just got a little bit of hope? You're holding on barely. As a result, here come the people with personality disorders, mental health issues, open wounds, fevers, the blind, the deaf, the crippled, they gather because they have nowhere else to go. And according to the story, one day a man who was perfectly well walked in to the area around the spring. And instead of walking around the sick like all the other healthy people did, this man walked among the sick. He didn't go out of his way to avoid them. In fact, he took time to acknowledge them and even went up to one who looked like he'd been there for a really long time and he asked him a very intriguing question. The question was, do you want to be healed? Now, you recognize this story, I'm sure, from John chapter 5. Of course, the story that I'm telling is about the story of Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, where he comes to the man who is crippled, and he says, do you want to be healed? I want you, though, to insert yourself into the story just for a moment. Imagine that you are the one who is at the pool. Imagine you are the one who is waiting for the water to stir. Imagine you are the one who is interrupted by a guy who looks perfectly normal coming to ask you a question. You're not sure who he is. You don't even know his reputation at this point. But he comes to you and he says, hey, do you want to be healed? What would you say to that person? Most of us would say, yes, absolutely, I want to be healed. But the reality is, is if we've been there as long as this man had, and it says that he's been infirmed for 38 years, if we've been there as long as he had, we might be saying, you know what? I don't need your silly questions. I'm just waiting for the water to stir. Why don't you move out of the way? Because I'm crippled as it is, and it's going to take me a long time to move when I see that water move. So just move on, sir. Your question is insulting to me. Of course I want to be healed. Of course I want to be healed. You see, the difference between you and I asking that question and Jesus asking that question is that Jesus is the eternal son of God, and you and I are not. 
And so when Jesus comes in and he asks that question, he's not just asking, hey, I've got a question. Do you want to be healed? He's asking, are you ready to be healed? Are you prepared for what I can do for you? And the man says, I'm not sure that you understand, sir. I've been waiting here for a long time. I need somebody to help me get down to the water. And Jesus, in that moment, at an instant, because he is the eternal son of God, because he is the creator himself, because he has all power, he says to that man, get up and walk. Just get up and walk. Today I want to talk about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is our healer. And to do that this morning, I'd like to take you back in Scripture to a place where Jehovah Rapha is first introduced to us. You see, many of the names of God that we see in Scripture are names that other people ascribe to him. Like I said in Psalm 23, David declares, you are the Lord, my shepherd. But there's a few places where God tells the people, this is who I am. And Exodus chapter 15 is one of those places where God says to the people of Israel and to Moses specifically, you need to understand who I am. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. But let me first set the scene for you to understand what's going on. If you have your Bibles, do you have a Bible? If you could open it to Exodus chapter 15. If you've found Exodus chapter 15, say amen. Amen. All right. At the top of my Bible, Exodus chapter 15, right before the words in verse 1, there's a little, uh, little phrase written there by the translators to tell me what's about to come, a chapter heading. Do any of you have a chapter heading over Exodus chapter 15? Mine says, this is a song of Moses. Moses is singing a song. When do you sing songs? When you're happy, right? I mean... We just were led in beautiful worship and praise and, and thanksgiving, and we sing because we are here to gather to extol the name of the Lord our God together. We're blessed to be here. We're blessed to declare his goodness. Moses, in Exodus chapter 15, is blessed to declare the goodness of God. And why? Because of what just happened in Exodus chapter 14. And so if you look back in your Bible to Exodus chapter 14, what you're going to see is the story of Moses leading the people of Israel through the Red Sea and the armies of Egypt having the waters of the Red Sea crash down on them and all of the people who are pursuing Moses and the Israelites perishing in the Red Sea and Moses now getting on the other side with all of the people. He didn't lose a one of them. God said, I want you to leave Egypt. Moses said, I'm not qualified to lead your people. God said, I want you to lead my people out of here. You go to Pharaoh, you tell him these things. We know the stories. There's plagues, there's all the things that happen. Finally, after the 10th plague, the people of Israel leave, scared, I'm sure, needing to be reassured that this is actually the plan of God. And they come to a body of water called the Red Sea, and what do everybody think is going to happen at that point? We're going to die because we can't go anywhere because there's a big body of water. But what they don't realize is that who is in front of them is actually Elohim, the God who can. And the God who can says, uh, you just need to open up this little water and you're going to walk right on through on dry ground. 
And all the people of Israel walk through the water on dry ground. Every one of them safe. Get out the other side. The waters come crashing down. And Exodus 15.1 tells us Moses sings a song. Friends, you would sing a song too. Not only would you sing, but you would dance. Not only would you sing and dance, but you'd throw a party. Do you see what my God has done? Do you understand what just happened? We were about to die. We had no hope. We had nothing in front of us that was worthy of any kind of hope. And what did God do? He showed up and the waters moved and we walked through on dry ground. We don't even have mud in our toes. We walked through on dry ground. We got to the other side and then the waters came crashing down and all of our enemies have perished and there is a huge body of water between our pursuers and our promised land. I would sing a dance too. We'd be having a barbecue out there. We'd be having food. We'd be having a serious party out there. And Moses sings. And what does Moses sing? He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown them into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is my God. Let's sing about him. And I'm sure that Moses, as he's singing his song, is gathering the people of Israel. By the way, they think that there was probably over a million people that had left Egypt at this time. He's gathered them all around, and I'm sure he's the choir leader at this point. He's teaching them the song. He's giving them their parts. You can do this part over here. You do this part. Everybody's singing together. Everybody getting their, their praise on out there in the wilderness. And Moses is feeling good. Because God has showed up, and God has rescued. And Moses gets out his little Google Maps, not really, but whatever, gets out whatever map he has, and he looks at it, and he says, hey, here to the promised land should take about 10 days. Give or take a couple of days with this large crowd, we'll we'll call it two weeks. All we have to do, guys, is move that direction for two weeks and we have reached the land of promise. Let's go. Line up. So they get in line and they start walking and they're singing their song and it sounds good and everybody's happy and Moses is feeling good and they get to the end of day one. All right, that was a good day. Let's set up camp here. Go ahead and pass around the water. Sorry, water? We don't have water. Just came through the Red Sea. We, we just barely got rescued. We, we don't have water. All right, no problem. Go to bed. Next day, get up. Let's keep walking. We're only, man, we're nine days away. We go fast. Nine days away. As they're walking, they're still singing and humming, but it's getting quieter because they're getting thirstier. Still no water. Shoot. Now what do we do? Go to bed, get up the next morning. Now it's the third day. You know, I I like some of these survivalist shows. You've seen these on TV? There's one called Alone. (laughs) They take people, they put them out in the wilderness all by themselves. They say, you figure it out. You figure out your food, figure out your shelter, figure it all out yourself. on On these survivalist shows, there's a rule of threes. The rule of three goes like this. If you get left out in the elements unprotected, you've got about three hours. 
If you can't find a clean water source, you got about three days. And if you can't get any food, you got about three weeks. If you're left out exposed, you got three hours, it's going to get turned really ugly for you. If you don't have water for three days, you're going to start dehydrating, and that's not going to be good. And if you can't get food in three weeks, you're going to start withering away, and your reserves are going to be depleted. You're not going to be able to survive very long. Look at what the text says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Dead Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. This is not a good situation. That song has been depleted. They're not singing anymore. And neither would you be, by the way. That song would have left me on day one and a half at best. And he's out there and he's leading his people and they're getting tired and they're hot and they're looking for water. There's no water to be found. And so it says in verse 23, when they came to Marah, They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. That is a redundant verse. Do you hear that? When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. I think he's trying to tell us something. You know what Marah means? Let me translate the verse for you. When they came to the place of bitterness, they could not drink the water of bitterness because it was bitter, therefore they named it a bitter place. That's how you translate that verse. He uses the word Mara four times, he uses the word Mar one time, this word means bitter. When they came to a bitter place, they could not drink the bitter water because the water was bitter, so they named the place Bitter Place. They're grumbling. They're complaining because they finally got water and that water tasted nasty. You ever been in the ocean and got a mouthful of seawater? That is not going to satisfy your thirst if you are thirsty. There's only, you can't put that down your throat. You spit it out, choking, coughing. This is bitter water that they've got. And they run and they see it and they're excited that there's, hey, there's water. They go run into it. They start lapping it up, they're lapping it up and all of a sudden they're spitting it back out. It is not satisfying. These people who three days ago were throwing a party, guess what they're doing now? They are whining and they are complaining. And guess what? So would I. I would be too. Even though I know three days ago, God opened up the water, (laughs) and I walked through, and my toes are still clean, and they all died, but now I'm thirsty, and it's hot out here. So it says, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? What shall we do? The people of Israel are known now (laughs) on this Exodus journey as a grumbling people. Uh, It only says that they praise God a couple of times, but it says that they grumble against God many times. In fact, grumbling and complaining kind of becomes their native language, doesn't it? 
Has it ever been yours? Sorry to step on your feet right there, but has it ever been yours? Life got difficult. Situation got uncomfortable. Air conditioner broke. Whatever. And you became grumbling. And you became complaining. And you forgot the fact that God delivered. And because he delivered, he can still deliver today. And when we lose perspective about who God is and about what God can do, the natural heart language that comes out is grumbling and complaining. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, it says, Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. I'm sorry. What happened? (laughs) Did you hear that? They were at a pool of water that was nasty tasting, and God showed him a log, and he took the log and he threw it into the water, and the water started tasting good. Now, science tells you (laughs) the way we purify water is not by throwing sticks into a puddle. That, that doesn't work scientifically. Try it. Go to the ocean. Grab a big old log with you. Drag it down across the beach. I'm going to chuck this thing in the water. Watch this water turn sweet. That is not how science works. You don't clean water by throwing sticks at it. But here's the lesson that I think we need to see is that God is not a God who is ruled by the laws of science. God is not, God is not, it is not necessary for God to follow the laws of science because he created science. He created the world. If God wants to use a dirty old stick to clean water, God can do that. If God wanted to take a log and throw that log in the water and make that water clean, he can do that. The point is not that the log cleaned the water. The point is that it was God who told him to throw it. And if God says, do what feels uncomfortable, do what doesn't make sense, do what is scientifically impossible, and watch me move, then guess what we should do? We should start throwing logs in the water. We should. We should start throwing the logs. If that's what God says to do, that's what we should do. So here's the principle. It says, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule on that day. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and if you will do what is right in his eyes, and if you will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. If you want to experience the life that I have for you, if you want to experience the future that I have for you, if you want to know how I can take a dirty puddle and throw a log into it and make it clean, the way that I can do that is by you listening to my voice, you obeying my statutes, you trusting that I am God, you following after my law. If you do what I ask you to do, you will be free from disease. 
I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God who heals. I'm the God who makes things better. You see, healing in the scriptures at times looks like physical healing. Blind people being able to see. Lame people being able to get up and walk. Deaf people having their ears opened up. People with an issue of blood having that taken care of. Even people who are physically dead being raised from the dead. There are times in scripture when healing looks like physical problems being taken care of. There's other times in scripture when healing looks different than that. Here's what I mean. Every time you see the word healing in scripture, it's not always referring to physical healing. But what it is always referring to is wholeness and restoration. Wholeness and restoration is what healing is all about. So when you are sick and you come to your brothers and sisters, you say, please pray for me, I am sick. What you are really praying for is pray that the Lord would make me whole again and that he would restore my health. You're not saying take away the cold. You're saying put, put wholeness back into me. When your marriage feels like it's falling apart and your relationships aren't the way that they should be and there's discomfort or discord in your marriage and you say, please pray for my marriage, you're saying, ask God to restore the relationship that he desires for us to have in this marriage. Healing is about restoration. Healing isn't about feeling better. Healing is about being whole. And when we are in Christ, all of us who are in Christ recognize I have a problem that separates me from God called sin that is a disease that is eating at my inside. And what I need more than anything else is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals to take this sin disease and make it clean restore it, make me whole, fix the problem. You see, you and I do a lot of different things to try to fix our own problems. Most of them don't work. Maybe what we need to do is start throwing logs at those problems. I'm just kidding. But the reality is we need to trust that God is actually in control. All through scripture, there are examples of healing that is not physical healing. Psalm 30, it says, oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. I, I was in distress. I said, God, help me. And it doesn't say that he helped me. It says that he healed me. He restored my situation. He made my brokenness whole. In Isaiah 53, verse five, it says, but he, that is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, that is our sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we have been healed. We, Isaiah 53, we, we are sinners, we are broken. It was our sin, it was our iniquity that caused him to be crushed but the crushing from our iniquities was actually what brings about healing for us. Jeremiah 3 says, A voice 
on the bare heights is heard the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. And God says to them, return, you faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. You see, healing is not just about physical infirmity. It's not just about sickness. Healing is about things that are broken being put back together. Things that are broken being put back together. Restoration, healing, reconciliation. This is what Jehovah Rapha is all about. A God who puts things back together. If you flip to the very end of the story in Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22, it says in verses 1 and 2, Then an angel showed me a river of the water of life. It was bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, there was a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. At the very end of the story, Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, we are reminded that what we are looking forward to is a city with a river in it and trees growing in that river that provide healing. Because in that city, guess what there is no longer? Sickness, brokenness, broken relationships, sin, no more weeping, no more crying. It it all gets fixed, it all gets put back together, it all gets restored, it's all made whole. Because there is healing for the nations. When you look at the story in Exodus chapter 15, I recognize that there's sometimes when we have to endure the test in order to experience the blessing. And sometimes when we're in the middle of it and we're calling out to God, he doesn't move as quickly as we want him to. (laughs) You've been there. Come on, God, what's going on? I've been asking now for at least three weeks, thinking like that's a long time. I've been asking for at least three months, three years, three decades. God, I've been asking for the salvation of this family member. I've been praying for a healing of this disease. God, are you listening? Are you listening, God? Because I'm feeling really alone. And I'm feeling like it's falling apart and my hope is getting really thin And maybe sometimes God needs us to endure the suffering in order to experience the blessing. It says in verse 27 of Exodus chapter 15 that he, after the stick had been thrown into the water, after it had been made clean, after God had used that situation to reestablish with the people of Israel don't stress, I got this. (laughs) I'm in control. I know you thought you were going to die. I actually wanted you to think that so that you would lean into me. I actually needed you to feel that weight so that you would trust that I've got this. I actually needed you to go through that deep, dark place, that place of doubt, that place of frustration, even that place of grumbling because it was only there that you would really listen to me when we threw that water in and it got clean. But you needed to go through it. You had to endure the suffering in order to experience the blessing. 
And so he says in verse 27 that right after that situation, they came to Elam. In other words, they leave the place of bitter water with the bitter water that finally got sweet, the place they called bitter. They leave bitterness and they go to Elam. Guess what Elam looks like according to verse 27? They came to Elam and there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they camped there by the water. You see, you had to go through the suffering of Mara to get to the blessing of Elam. If you don't go through Mara, I can't show you Elam. You've got to go here in order to get there. But, but you've got to know that as you go from there to here, if you listen to me, if you trust my voice, if you do the things that I'm calling you to do, then even when you feel like it's all falling apart, you can know this, I am Jehovah Rapha. I will fix this, I will make it right, and when your families and your neighborhoods and our society and everything feels like it's falling apart, in reality, there is a God who reigns and nothing falls apart on his watch. He is Jehovah Rapha. Nothing falls apart as long as God is in control. And all he asks us to do is trust him, call him, Look to him, listen to him, follow him. And even if it hurts to get there, he's going to take us to the blessing. He's going to get us to the blessing. He will restore, he will make whole, he will make new, because that's the character of our God. That's who he is. He can't be anything other than who he is. And so what is necessary for you and me is simply to trust that who he is is enough for you. Who he is is enough. You don't need him to be any more than who he is. He's enough. He's good. He's faithful. And he'll take you from there to there because he's faithful. And so the question that all of us need to answer is the same question that Jesus asked the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. The question is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That doesn't mean that everything in life is going to automatically become roses. It may be that you're on your way from Mara. But do you want to be healed? Do you want to trust that the God who says he is enough is in fact enough? Do you want to believe that he is Jehovah Rapha? Do you want to believe that his plan for your life is blessing, not curses? Do you want to know that his desire is to walk you through the pain of this world in order to deliver you to Elam? Do you know that his plan for you is to sit by the waters where the springs are plenty, not to experience the bitterness of Mara? That is not his plan for those who are in Jesus. His plan is deliverance, wholeness, restoration, reconciliation. He is God, the Lord, Jehovah, the God who heals. Do you want to be healed? In John chapter 5, Jesus concludes that story by saying, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has now passed from death 
to life. From Mara to Elam. From wilderness to promise. From brokenness to wholeness. From discord to reconciliation. If you trust Jesus, he moves you from the mess of this world into the blessing of his eternal promise according to his timeline, not according to yours. And so do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Maybe you're here today experiencing a place of need for healing. It might be physical. You might have received a very difficult diagnosis. You might be walking through treatments right now. And you're praying, God, I would love for you to show up and heal me. Here's the thing about physical healing, though. It's temporary. (laughs) Because even if you get better, you're going to die, I'm sorry to tell you. So when we pray for physical healing, we do want to feel better. But what we really want is that the glory of God would be revealed in the healing. That the testimony of God's goodness would be revealed, that we might be able to tell people, look what God did, not look at me. Look at what God did. Look how he moved. Look how he acted. And if he chooses not to heal in a physical way, that doesn't mean that he's any less powerful. It just means that he has a different timeline than what you and I experience. And even in the valley, yet I will praise him. Because I believe that he is Jehovah Rapha, and I believe his character doesn't change, and I believe he is enough, and I believe he can do what he wants to do. So do you want to be healed? I'd love to be able to pray for you this morning if you do. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. You've got relationships that are busted up. You've got discord with neighbors, friends, family members, and you're not at peace, and you need healing in that area. Relational healing. Maybe it's emotional You're in a valley of depression. You're in a place where you can't see the light. You feel like there is no light sometimes. The world feels like it's closing in around you. And what you need is to be healed from that depression so that you can see clearly. Maybe you need spiritual healing. Maybe you need to repent of your sins and turn and trust in Jesus. If you want to be healed, I'd love to be able to pray for you today. And I'd love for you to stand so that I would know who I'm praying for. If you, can, if you desire to experience the healing of God today and to trust beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God named Jehovah Rapha. And I'm going to trust the God who heals today. Even if it means I have to stay in Mara for a while. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, the one who is faithful, the one who is good, the one who reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God, our healer, we ask God that you would bring healing in this room. Would you heal broken bodies by restoring them and making them whole? Would you heal broken relationships by restoring them and bringing unity Would you restore broken emotions by allowing the light of your goodness to shine over our lives? Would you restore and and heal broken spirits? 
by calling us to repent from our sins and to confess them. Because if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of those sins and you will cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. God, would you please bring your healing in this room? Would we leave this room knowing that Jehovah Rapha is in control? Would we leave this room trusting that even though the journey through Mara may be much longer than we want it to be, that you have the ability to take what is bitter and make it sweet? That you have the ability to take us through that situation and point us to the springs of Elam where we can experience life? God, would you allow us to trust your voice, listen to your word, obey your commandments, not turn to the left or to the right, but follow the voice of Jehovah Rapha. We pray in Jesus' name.